0: Um, we have been talking for many weeks now of the kingdom of God. And uh, one of the things that, as we kind of worked through this, is that, um, uh, you know, I had mentioned that we were going to be starting another series, but this kind of got a little bit bigger than, than what I anticipated. And so, uh, so we're going to be working through that, and, uh, or have been working through that. And so as we as we kind of continue... I just want to mention that last week we began exploring what the New Testament says about the kingdom of God beyond the resurrection. We looked back in the Old Testament, we saw that, that this is God's plan, that the kingdom of God was, was something that was established way back with, with Abraham and, and worked throughout the entire Old Testament looking forward to Jesus, who was going to be the one who was going to be fulfilling the, the, the kingdom. We first were reminded last week that Christ is the king of the kingdom, and so we kind of established that. Then we talked about the fact that the book of Acts, the apostles, all spoke of the kingdom. They spoke of the kingdom and the fact that it was the gospel, the good news of the kingdom. And so we saw them carrying the exact same message that Jesus brought. And then third, Paul's letters continue this message through his epistles, or what we call letters. And he said that this was the kingdom, we, we talked about this being the kingdom made possible. The kingdom made possible. Well, how was that made possible? It was made possible through the good news of Jesus. The good news of him coming, dying on the cross for our sins, uh, being buried, but rising again, so that we could have hope. And so what I, what I basically uh, wanted us to see here was something that Jesus said in Matthew twenty four fourteen, And he says this, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. So the final days are still ahead of us, obviously, but we're working through this time when the gospel, the good news of Christ, is preached, is proclaimed. And so that's what Jesus said was going to happen, and lo and behold, that's what his apostles, his sent ones, did through the book of Acts. That is what uh the, the those who wrote the new testament letters were talking about so the gospel the good news of jesus is the message of the kingdom the kingdom is that bigger picture and so i just wanted to remind us of, of what we mentioned last week the theme of scripture is god's eternal plan to have fellowship and live with a people that he has predetermined to be his own by grace god draws these people to himself and they respond to faith to the good news of jesus christ They, in turn, worship God in spirit and in truth as they serve and obey him in love and devotion. God's kingdom and those who comprise it are ultimately for his glory. So again, it's not that one is different, so to speak, than the other, but we're talking about what their purpose is. The gospel is the message of the kingdom. The kingdom is the bigger picture. The kingdom is what continues forever. That is, Christ's reign and we happen to be a part of that if we are his followers. Which brings us then to today as we look at again the kingdom beyond the gospels, the kingdom beyond the resurrection, and see that we are talking here about, I want to talk about a life worth living. I'm sorry, a to I said that wrong. To live worthy. <laughs> got, got caught up in these. So as we as we look at that, I want us to see Second Thessalonians chapter two. Now we're going to go through several passages today. Um, everything today is going to pretty, pretty much be on the screen. We do encourage you. We want you to bring your Bibles. We obviously do scripture reading every week, but there are many, many times when we reference the scriptures uh, and you open up your Bibles throughout the message. This time, we're going to be focused more on the screen. I'll be reading these for you. First Thessalonians 2 verses 10 through 12 says this, You are witnesses, and God also, how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. As you know how we exhorted, that's encouraged and comforted and charged every one of you, as a father does his own children. We're going to pause there for a minute. This is Paul talking to this church, describing how he came to these people and, and those who were with him, right, to minister to them. And then he goes on, that you would... What, what was the purpose of all of this? That you would walk worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So we see the connection to the kingdom here already, but it's, it's to walk worthy, worthy of God. That's, that's a pretty bold statement there. So let's just consider a couple of things. Does worthy mean that we earn our salvation? Does this mean that we are to prove our worth so that we can gain entrance into the kingdom of God. Is that, is that what Paul is saying? Not really. And we're going to talk specifically about that, but I want to use an illustration first of Christ. Christ was considered worthy. We're going to read a few verses from Revelation 5. The scene is heaven. And, this is, and there was a call given for someone to take a scroll that contained some of the prophecies and someone to open up the scroll, break the seals, and then read what were the decrees of God, right? No one was found worthy, the scriptures tell us here. No created being, whether it be angelic or just flesh, no one anywhere was considered worthy. And then we see what is said, I think I'm missing something here. We will turn our Bibles. Turn the Bible to Revelation chapter 5. It's there? Okay. There it is. All right. I think I have them in the wrong order. Revelation. We're doing all kinds of wonderful things today. Okay. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice. Who is worthy to open the scroll and loose the seals so as we as we consider this, um, we, we, have, we have what was basically said is you know, the question who is worthy well it 's Christ, Christ is the one who is worthy to do this, and we see this in revelation five nine through ten same passage, and they sang a new song saying, "You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue." and people and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on earth. So Christ is the worthy one. It goes on to say this then, verses 11 and 12, Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000, and thousands of thousands. Now, does let me pause here for a minute. Numbering isn't like, it wasn't then like it is now. You know, we had talk about billions and trillions just in our national debt, okay? Uh, that, that's not, that, they didn't conceive of some of these huge numbers back in that day, all right? And so this is describing this, this innumerable number of people that are saying this. And what are they saying? They're saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing so as we consider the fact that Christ is worthy did Jesus do anything to better himself did he do something to somehow gain stature with God well obviously not Did he increase how much God loved him? No. Now, don't get me wrong. We we read expressions of God's love in the New Testament, but it didn't increase God's love for him. But did Jesus fulfill his determined purpose? Ah. (laughs) What does it mean to be worthy? Dr. Michael Martin says this, "...to live worthy of God makes God the focal point, the one who determines what is appropriate and what is not. It means to live in a matter consistent with the commands and character of God. This was the very behavior Paul himself sought to model for the young Thessalonian believers, which brings us then back to the book of Thessalonians. We see Paul modeling a worthy life, a life worthy of God in these three areas, devoutly, justly, and blamelessly. Let me just change these words around a little bit. Devoutly or holy, life before God, not prior to knowing God, but in his presence, right? So that is one of the ways that we are to live a worthy life. We live a holy life, a righteous life that has the idea of justly, life with others, how we treat other people, how. how how we uh, deal with others, whether it be problems or, or responsibilities or any number of things, are we living righteously? And then the word blameless there has to do with our personal life. So it's our, it's our life with God, it's our life with others, and it's our life within our own hearts. That's what Paul is saying. This is how we came to you. And certainly the message is leading, leading a worthy life is doing that. Okay? Okay? Now, there are two Old Testament passages that parallel these thoughts regarding a life lived in a worthy manner. Now, are they exact parallels? No, but they're really close. So let's first go back to Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 12 through 13. And sometimes I I highlight things. I would have had to highlight this entire passage. So we're going to work through this, all right? It says, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all of his ways, and to love him to serve the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul, and to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command you today for your good. Now Moses had been retelling how he went back to Mount Sinai and, got, and God wrote the Ten Commandments on a second set of, of tablets that Moses carved. If you remember, the first ones, Moses came down, the people were worshiping a false God, a golden calf, and he threw the tablets down, okay? So this was, this was uh, uh, the second part of the time that this took place. Same things written on there, but God wrote on those things the Ten Commandments. After Moses put the tablets into the Ark of the Covenant he said it was now time to travel and possess the land that God promised their forefathers so this was early on we're we're, obviously we're in Deuteronomy here they're moving toward the promised land and they had just received uh, the Ten Commandments again and and these things were now being uh, reiterated to the people these verses followed all that so what did God require of his people to fear him to walk in all of his ways to love him to serve him with her whole heart and soul, to keep God's commandments and statutes. And Moses adds that these things are good. They're beneficial, all right? Then we see, and this is one of my favorite passages of Scripture, maybe one of yours as well, but Micah chapter 6. I just wanted to give you a little bit of the background for this as we move toward verse 8, but it says... With that, with what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has shown you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy? and to walk humbly with your God. So he is obviously not talking literally that he's going to sacrifice one of his own children. What he's saying is this. If I were to go to all of these extremes, what is that going to do for me when it comes to having a worthy life before God? And the answer is no. There's some simpler things that God Re- requires of us meaning it's not all complicated not necessarily easy to do but it's not complicated he wants us to live a righteous life he wants us to treat others properly and he wants us to walk in humility with him to have a proper relationship with him so our takeaway from this part of our study is that a life worth, worthy of God is a lifestyle that brings God glory that's also something that is good for us but this life is, this, this consistent godly character demonstrates, uh, is demonstrated by and lived out by what we think, say, and do. You know, a lot of times we describe that as sin. Sin is the things that we think, say, and do that are against God. Well, righteousness, doing the right thing, having a right relationship with him, others, and ourselves, is that we think, say, and do properly. Okay? So it's the flip side of that. A life that honors God is lived out before God with those around us and in our personal thoughts and actions. It it captures all of that. So, practically speaking, what we're looking at here is a life that is lived for the Lord. That is a worthy life. And all these things that we looked at uh, give us the direction of what that means. As we move on, we're going to look at the fact that we live by the Spirit. John 3, 5 says this, Jesus answered, Most surely I say to you, unless one is born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. I simply want us to see that there's a a foundation for all of this. As the Son of God explained eternal life to the Jewish religious leader Nicodemus, he declared that a person must be born again, must be born by the Spirit. Okay? So the Holy Spirit is a part of our salvation. And we've mentioned that before. He's the one who makes us alive. Just like... When we are born from our mothers, we were born into life on this earth. So that is the basis of what we're talking about. Romans chapter 14, verses 17 through 18 say this, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but it is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. You can even see some of the parallels to our previous point. So, Paul attaches our life in the Holy Spirit to the kingdom of God. It's not this, but it is this, right? So, I want to see these two passages to establish that we are born again by the Spirit and that we experience our life in the kingdom of God in the Spirit. So, both being spiritually alive and spiritually living are in and through the Holy Spirit of God. That's who makes it possible. So then what I want to do is kind of um, see that Galatians chapter 5 expands on this. Uh, it, it magnifies what we're talking about here, and it, and it takes from this, from this foundation and builds on it. So it says, and I know we read this earlier, but it says, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. So that's Galatians 5, 6, and 7. Then if we move down to verse 25, it says, For we live in the Spirit, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Now, in a message recently, we referenced the the fruit of the Spirit, which follows this section, right? It's actually in the middle of these verses. The fruit of the Spirit is the production of a Spirit-led life. I don't want us to overlook the obvious. Living by or according to the Spirit is equal to living a worthy life, right? So again, it's attached to what we just looked at in our previous point. So what is the definition of worthy life before God? Doing what he desires. And we do what the Lord desires by being led by the Spirit. They're connected. They cannot be separated. Now, I just want to make a note Ephesians 5.18 says this, and we can call this a parallel passage. And do not be drunk with wine. Don't be controlled by alcohol, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. I just wanted to note that sometimes we look at that filled with the Spirit, and and, and it kind of brings about a little bit of a mystery type of of response to us. And What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Again, these are parallel passages. To be filled with the Spirit controlled by the Spirit, led by the Spirit, they're the same thing. There is no mystery here. It's simply responding to the Spirit in a proper fashion. Because as we talked about, the Spirit brought us into this world spiritually, but also resides in us. So, so far we've looked at the leading of the Spirit from more of a what we might call an academic or factual type of look. But I want us to to, to kind of dig into this as far as on a practical basis, what are we talking about? What does it mean to be led by the Spirit of God? The Spirit resides in the Christian to guide the believer in how to live for the Lord. He constantly lead, leads us toward living a worthy life. And by the way, let's just pause here. How could he do otherwise? He's God the Spirit. He's not going to work against the Savior. He's not going to work against the Father. They're one. all right. We are to acknowledge the leading of the Spirit. So when we come to a crossroads choice, big or small, and we sense that prompting, and we say, I don't think so. I'm going to do what I want to do. We're not being led by the Spirit. By the way, what's the opposite of good? Okay, because if being led by the spirit is good, if living a worthy life is good and they're the same thing, then when we are led by our own selfish desires, that's not good. It cannot produce goodness or good results. All right. So we are to respond obediently to the leading of the spirit. This includes God, the spirit interacting with our spirit. The spirit will also use his word in our lives, which is why it's so important to be in the word and to be exposed to the word like this so that we're storing that away for the times when we will need to make choices. By the way, how often in a week do you make a choice whether or not you're going to do something right or wrong? Whether or not you're going to say something right or wrong? Whether or not you're going to think something right or wrong? this is this is life itself folks it really is and so we don't want to make it all mystical like I need to be filled no you respond in obedience you're, you're already filled as far as God the Holy Spirit residing in you but it's his leading his controlling that we then respond to properly and that's obedience alright So we are to do these different things. We are to live worthy. We're to live by the Spirit. This is all kingdom related. But we're also to live the gospel. To live the gospel. What I want us to do is look at 1 Peter 2, verses 9 through 12. And again, I kind of wanted you to see this visually. We could have turned here. It's a longer passage, but listen to this as I read. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Beloved, I beg you, as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they observe, Glorify God in the day of visitation. Now, let me just back up and say this. Could I have used this passage in our previous uh, points? Absolutely. So guess what? It's all tied together. We're talking about the same message here. But Paul wrote to believers throughout what is modern-day Turkey, okay? They, they, were, they were scattered in all different places. And he describes what these believers have been given So, I'm just going to summarize verse 9 here, the upper part of this passage. A particular people of God, a particular people God chose and set apart to be his own. We also see that this special people, who at one time had no identity and were outside of God's mercy, are now God's people, having received his mercy. This describes us if we are his followers today. Being a part of God's holy nation means. We do not belong here, which is the idea of that being a pilgrim and a sojourner. We're we're visitors. Our citizenship has changed because of what God has done for us. In this passage, then, we are also told what the chosen people of God are to do. First, we are to proclaim the praises of God. The word Peter uses for proclaim is the only time this is used in All-New Testament. It's a unique word. It means to publish abroad, to message out, or to declare. So we are to proclaim what? The praises of God. Do you think there's a connection to the praises we are to proclaim and Peter's description of what God has done for us? I mean, look at it. That you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness and in, out of darkness and into his marvelous light there are several ways to publish abroad so to speak god's praises first public worship we we did that this morning and even public declarations of praise when we just simply let people know what god has been doing in our life or when we describe who god is and and and, and his greatness then there is evangelism, sharing the gospel, proclaiming his worth and character to those who do not know him. We'll talk more about that in just a minute. Then there's declaring our praise by living a consistent life devoted to serving God and doing his will. We see these two things uh, embedded in here. And we're going to look at it in just a moment, but I, I just want to use a term that some people might you know, kind of cringe at a little bit, and that term is lifestyle evangelism that term kind of gets a little bit of a bad rap and and in some ways rightfully so but this is what's described here this doesn't mean lifestyle evangelism only living an obedient life before god then waiting for unbelievers to approach us right it's not just being a good moral person and doing what god tells us and waiting for somebody to notice that's not what it means It's just, it's just not my day today, I don't think. But anyway, we'll, we'll get through this. All right. <laughs> it's back. All right, I don't know what I did, but anyway, all right. Let me gather my thoughts here for a second here. What I just described for you is not genuine lifestyle evangelism. And it's not what this passage is describing. Peter's describing a life where our proclamation of God is accompanied by our good works. And oh, by the way, our good works are accompanied by a proclamation of who God is. All right? They go together. Here's what's interesting. Uh, Let me just say it like this. Our words and our works are a package deal. And this was actually lived out by Christ himself. What did he tell the people that were rejecting him? It says, if you don't hear my words, if you're not going to accept what I tell you, at least let the works that I'm doing speak for myself. They rejected both. Right? Not everybody, but those that he was speaking to at the time. So this pattern of words and works, of what we do in our life and then what we say, is the same thing that Jesus did while He was here. I, I even think of, of of His name, right? One of the names of of God the Son was the Word. The Word made flesh was made flesh and dwelt among us. Right. Well, the Word—that's the very expression. That's the very spoken person of God, and yet. The word was made flesh. He actually did things that also demonstrated who God was because he was God, right? So just to clarify for a moment here, what does glorify God in the day of visitation mean? There are a lot of um, interpretations of this, a lot of understandings. It's not an easy phrase. Uh, It doesn't have any fancy language to it per se, but it's just kind of tacked on here. Uh, as far as our observation might be, right? And and people can take it different ways. Um, one view is that it is the day of judgment. So let me kind of read it like that, right? That they, by your good works, and let me back up just a little bit, that when they speak against you as evildoers, then they, by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. So what they would say is, Here's these evildoers. God is now visiting judgment on them, and they are saying they did the right thing, really. Okay? okay. That's, that's one way of looking at it. Another view explains that it is the time of God's grace, that it's the visitation of God coming to them. So part of it determines on how we look at they. Is they, everybody, they the same all the way through the passage, or is there this bigger picture of they And then some of the they are in the second part. And I believe that is really what we're talking about. My best understanding of this is is that God uses our good works, which we can define in this passage as kind of an all-encompassing idea here, of our proclaiming the praises of God and our honorable conduct. He uses that, and the Lord uses those things to bring others to himself. Notice that this is also... The subject of persecution, the good works that we do. What we say and what we do, persecution comes. So now let, let's consider this, this end that we're talking about here, okay? This, this idea of glorifying God in the day of visitation. This visitation is when the Lord comes to some of them, they respond in faith, and then turn around and look at the message that we've been giving and look at the works that we've been doing and say, praise God. By the way, how did you come to Christ? Was it by hearing the message probably from somebody else? Hearing somebody else's testimony? Hearing somebody else proclaim God's goodness? And did you possibly look at somebody else's life and say, is what they're saying and what they're doing, does that match? Remember what Paul said when he came to these people. We came to you with Christ, but we came to you doing what? Living appropriately. Living a worthy life. And so there are some that will glorify God based upon his visitation upon them. Based upon his giving his grace to them. Why? Because we have lived appropriately we've spoken and demonstrated through our lives the good news of Jesus perfectly? I don't think so but consistently those three things are the things that God uh, basically gives to us in the New Testament that relate to how we're to live out the kingdom so let's kind of bring all this to conclusion. First question, are you living a life worthy of God? Ask another way, does your lifestyle show that you are a child of God, a citizen of the kingdom? A question that closely resembles the first one is, are you being led by the Spirit of God? And, and, of course, all of us are. The question is, is are we responding properly? Right? So are you consistently responding to the prompting of the Spirit to either not do something that goes against the will of God or to do the will of God? And then, do, you, do the people that you interact with see evidence of your faith? Have they heard you proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light? That's a package deal. I want to finish with the words of our savior. John 15 just the beginning part of verse 16 and then jumping down to verses 27 and 26 27. You did not choose me, but I you, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. And we've already established a long time ago that bearing fruit is producing good works, right? But when the helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father, he will testify of me and you will also, and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Now he's speaking to his direct disciples at the time. The principles are still here. And what are they? What are we to do? We're to go and do good works and we're to bear witness of who he is. How do we do that? Uh, the opportunity would present itself. I can live a completely inconsistent life to what I believe, and somehow, when I open up my mouth, someone's going to go, "Oh, I believe." Now, again, we're talking on a human level. We're barring, you know, what God can do in their life. He uses us in spite of ourselves many times, right? But here's the point: What is Jesus saying? Live worthy. Live righteously. And tell others about me. So just as we said, the flow of Scripture is all about the kingdom of God. Not some ethereal, uh, mystical, some, you know, kingdom somewhere. No, it's what we're living in now as a believer. We're a part of it. It will one day be a place we many times call heaven, right? Right? But at one time, we know that it's also going to be right here on earth as God has all who are his subjects, all who are in his kingdom. He's going to rule and reign right here on the earth. Then beyond that, it's going to be a forever time with him. By the way, we'll look at that in a coming week, All right? Got to close this out sometime. But as we're looking at what our responsibilities are, it's living out the kingdom and it's giving the message of the kingdom. Now, I know that there could be someone here who says, isn't this like the same message that you say all the time? I mean, you give us the gospel, you tell us to live right. Yes. (laughs) It is. (laughs) But I want to connect it back to purpose. See, we think these things are optional sometimes. They're not. It is what a citizen of the kingdom consistently does. Because we know who we are, we know who we belong to, we know what God has done for us, and we respond to the Holy Spirit's leading in our lives. Where are you in relation to that? I'm not asking, do I perfectly follow God in every aspect of my life? What I'm asking is, If we were to talk to people around you, would they tell us, well, based upon what you have described, yes, I believe that that person is a citizen of the kingdom of God. What does your own heart tell you? Whether you belong to the kingdom, whether you are a follower of Christ, or how well we are responding to the leading of the Spirit. In what areas? Before God, which is ultimately everything. Before other people. And right in our own hearts and lives. Our own personal life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, if I were to micro-examine my life, oh my goodness, the, the, the list I would have to produce of impatience and responding wrongly to to things around me and on, on I could go. Lord, protect us from not being overwhelmed in some ways with the responsibilities that we're talking about here. We thank you that you have given us the promise of eternal forgiveness when we respond to you in faith. But you've given us the promise of of a consistent cleansing, so to speak, that forgiveness in our lifestyles, when we, when we don't respond to you properly, when we offend you, when we sin against you. So, Lord, we can take care of those things. But, Father, may we answer the question in our hearts today. First of all, am I a part of the kingdom? Have I responded in faith to Christ? But also, how am I living out my faith? And what are some of the areas that I can work on through the leading of the Spirit, not on my own strength, to live that worthy life. Not earning my salvation, but showing myself worthy of God because I have it. And press upon us, Lord, that this kingdom is all about you and glorifying you and everything about it is for our good along with that. And so I pray that we will respond daily, moment by moment even, by considering who you are, what you have for us to do, and how we are to be obedient to all of that by being led by the Holy Spirit of God. Father, we thank you for just bringing these things together and helping us see the very practical side of what it means to be in your kingdom. And I do pray, Lord, that it's your gospel, your good news, the the person of Christ is someone that we not only live for, but someone that we tell others about, both by what we say and by how we live. And we ask all of this in Christ's name. Amen.